Hello and welcome to the first day of the grand jury proceeding. We are here in a room that has been specially built for this purpose to hear witnesses and expert, experts with regard to what's happened in the corona crisis. And we are connected with an international group of lawyers. And to begin, I turn, I um, give the floor to um, attorney at law Aina Garner from the United States of America. Anna, you must unmute yourself. Away. All right. Now, now I'm unmuted. Let me find my document, please. All right. Whoops. Uh, here we are. Okay. Sorry. Okay. Can you hear me now? Yes. All right. Thank you, Vivian. It is my honor and pleasure to participate in this international grand jury investigation, an enactment of a criminal grand jury against some of the perpetrators who, in a worldwide criminal collaboration, committed crimes against humanity on the entire world's population in the form of a planned pandemic called COVID-19. We, a group of international lawyers and a judge, are conducting criminal investigation modeled after the United States grand jury proceedings. This grand jury investigation serves as a model legal proceeding to present to a jury consisting of the citizens of the world, all available evidence of COVID-19 crimes against humanity to date against leaders, organizers, instigators, and accomplices who aided, abetted, or actively participated in the formulation and execution of a common plan for a pandemic. Crimes to be investigated include all acts performed or omitted by a person in pursuance of a common design to commit crimes against humanity and all such criminal acts condemned in the various communities of jurors around the world. This investigation is of the people, by the people and for the people and shall be referred to as the People's Court of Public Opinion. Having been unable to find a court to hear the actual evidence in the current system's courts of law, we are undertaking this proceeding outside of the current system and based on natural law. This in turn is founded on the firm belief that every person can e easily distinguish between good and evil and between right and wrong. This proceeding may be one of the most important events outside of the courts that will be done this year. We, as a group of international attorneys, will present real evidence from real experts, such as scientists, historians, doctors, as well as victims. There are no actors in this presentation, only real people who desire to bring justice to the world, and we need your help. 
The reason for the enactment of a grand jury process is because our world is at a critical stage in humanity, which will depend on the awakening of all people to reverse a course which could forever alter the way we live as free humans. We must reverse the trajectory of this course now, and portraying a grand jury investigation is the fastest way we know to bring the evidence to the world's public court, you the people. In the United States, only district attorneys or attorneys general of the various states are allowed to bring such criminal proceedings. But since no one has done so in the United States, we come forward to present the evidence to you in a form modeled after this type of judicial proceeding, which is common in the United States. We base this model on the American criminal grand jury. Typically, the grand jury determines whether the evidence is sufficient to return a criminal indictment against one or more accused. It's conducted behind closed doors and neither the accused nor his attorney is present in this type of proceeding. However, we're doing this process in front of full view of the court of public opinion, you the people. The purpose of this investigation is to reveal the evidence which could be used in this type of proceeding in your jurisdiction. We invite you to join us in open transparency using real evidence, real attorneys, a real judge, and real expert witnesses that could be presented in an actual criminal grand jury proceeding in the United States courts. The success story of this country was written by people who trusted in a constitutional governance for the people. Our forefathers shouldered epic challenges in our history on the foundation of our constitution. It was this constitution and its recognition of natural rights and freedoms that released free-spirited human beings from the yoke of the British crown. Therefore, and recognizing the urgency, we will be asking you, the court of public opinion, to review the presented evidence in order to reclaim our rights and freedoms granted to every person in this country and the world at the end of this proceeding. Thank you, Mrs. Garner. I would like to turn to um, Judge Rui Fonseca e Castro, who preside, presides these uh, proceeding. Mr. Fonseca. Good afternoon. The legitimacy of the court of public opinion bases on the natural law. During the last two years, we have witnessed the dizing collapse of the democratic rule of law. In the name of an idea of common good, which has never been endorsed, the most fundamental rights and freedoms have been taken from us. And we can already feel the approach of a gigantic wave of victims. Justice systems, once strongholds of fundamental rights and freedoms, no longer fulfill their duties. That is, there are no longer judges in Berlin. Shall we wait, doing nothing, until we are completely annihilated, or rather we assume our responsibilities as members of our communities? It is our rights, and above all, our duty to the people and to the future genera generations to resist oppression and tyranny. The natural law, immanent to the human being, 
regardless of its positivation, gives us the sacred rights of resistance to oppression. If constitutions are the source of positivated freedom, fundamental rights and freedoms, natural law is its, its original source. Natural law, natural law confers legitimacy to the people to defend fundamental rights and freedoms before a state that has become tyrannical. It's clear now the failure of national and international justice systems to, pro to protect people from the tyranny that has taken hold. Therefore, it's in the natural law, an unwritten law inherent to the human condition, that this court of the public opinion finds its legitimacy to initiate the legal proceedings that will begin today. The court is open. Thank you. Thank you for this introduction, uh, Judge Fonseca y Castro. I would like to uh, give the floor now to Diana, Attorney at Law, Diana Pollard Sachs from the United States of America. Hello, my name is Dina Pollard Sachs, and for the past 22 years, I've been a law professor, constitutional scholar, and civil rights activist and litigator. I'm here today to discuss the derivation of our liberty clause, which goes back to natural law, and to explain why the COVID-19 vaccines are all unconstitutional based upon our history's jurisprudence. On the 4th of July, 1776, our founding fathers signed the Declaration of Independence. And here's what they said. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. In 1891, our Supreme Court, in a case called Botsford, explained that medical liberty is inalienable and one of the most cherished rights we can ever have. They said, no right is held more sacred or is more carefully guarded by the common law than the right of every individual to the possession and control of his own person, free from all restraint or interference of others, unless by clear and unquestionable authority of law. The right to one's person may be said to be a right of complete immunity to be let alone. In 1914, Justice Cardozo, who later became a United States Supreme Court Justice, put it this way, every human being of adult years and sound mind has a right to determine what shall be done with his own body. And a surgeon who performs an operation without his patient's consent commits an assault for which he is liable in damages. These same exact concepts and verbatim statements by our court have been reiterated over the decades. In 1990, for example, in a case called Cruzan versus Director, Missouri Department of Health, the Supreme Court basically held that each individual has a right to reject medical treatment. That goes back to the English common law. And here's what Justice Brennan said in the Cruzan case. Anglo-American law starts 
with the premise of thoroughgoing self-determination, it follows that each man is considered to be the master of his own body, and he may, if he be of sound mind, expressly prohibit the performance of life-saving surgery or other medical treatment. How is it then that our governments are pushing a medical treatment on us without consent, not real consent? They are coercing our people to take a vaccine that's experimental in nature upon threat of their livelihoods, their homes, and their education. Well, our government's relying on a case called Jacobson versus Massachusetts. So I'm gonna explain the case and explain why it actually supports our side that we get to choose medicine and medical treatments for our bodies. The case does not support the vaccine manufacturers and does not support vaccine mandates. In 1902, during a smallpox pandemic that killed hundreds of millions of people internationally, the state of Massachusetts passed a law. And the law said that each person must be vaccinated for smallpox or pay a $5 fine. That's exactly what the law said. It was an either or law giving people the option to pay a $5 fine if they don't want to get vaccinated. Well, Mr. Jacobson believed that his liberty interest protected him both from the vaccination and from paying the $5 fine. So he went all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court after paying the $5 fine, and he wanted his money back. And the Supreme Court looked at the medical evidence. The smallpox vaccine had been in use for 100 years. It was being used all over the world with a great deal of efficacy, and it was quelling one of the worst pandemics in the history of the world. After reviewing the medical evidence carefully, after making findings concerning the efficacy and safety of the vaccine and the need for the smallpox vaccine, the court decided that Mr. Jacobson did not get his $5 back. Now keep in mind also, Mr. Jacobson believed he had a liberty interest to run around town and be seen out all over town without being vaccinated. So he sort of flaunted the fact that he wasn't vaccinated because he believed he had the right to be out and about without the medical treatment he did not want. And so the court's opinion was based on all of these facts. And these facts do not support COVID mandates today. In fact, one of the last things the court said in Jacobson versus Massachusetts, and I quote, we now decide only that the statute covers the present case and that nothing clearly appears that would justify this court in holding it to be unconstitutional and inoperative in its application to the plaintiff, Mr. Jacobson. There are several reasons why Jacobson does not support the vaccine mandates of today concerning the coronavirus. First, there's an enormous difference concerning the public risks involved. The smallpox pandemic was killing up to 60% of people in villages when the smallpox came through. Anywhere from 20 to 60% of people were dying with an overall death rate of about 30%. In some, at some periods, over 90% of babies who were exposed to smallpox were dying. Now compare that to COVID-19 that kills a tiny fraction of 1% of people. The public risk is not even close. The second thing is the COVID-19 vaccines are not really vaccines at all. Unlike the vaccines throughout history, which stopped infection, and stopped transmission, these vaccines do neither. These are experimental vaccines. They haven't been around for 100 years. They haven't been tried and tested. And our people are being subjected 
to an experimental vaccine when none of us really know what the long-term effects are going to be. And finally, the law in Jacobson versus Massachusetts gave an option for the people to pay $5. Today, that would be just under $150. Compare that to people losing their livelihoods, all that they've worked for, their homes and their college education because they won't submit to an experimental vaccine. There is simply no comparison. Jacobson versus Massachusetts does not support the vaccine manufacturers or the vaccine mandates. So some of you may be wondering then, why haven't the COVID vaccine, the COVID vaccine mandates been declared unconstitutional fully? Well, some of them have been, but there's one that was that withstood the Supreme Court scrutiny on January 13th, 2022. So I want to explain that. First of all, the health care worker vaccine mandate arose from the taxing and spending clause of the U.S. Constitution found in Article 1, Section 8. Congress has historically been given great latitude to attach strings to federal monies. So you take the sour with the, with the sweet. And if you want federal monies, you have to submit to the conditions by Congress. Throughout history, Congress has been allowed to put conditions on the receipt of Medicare and Medicare funding and specifically has authorized conditions to limit the transmission of communicable diseases. Still, the opinion was five to four, with only five justices agreeing that the vaccine mandate for healthcare workers passed the original test to see whether or not the court would stop the enforcement of the vaccine mandate. But the real question is, as Thomas, Justice Thomas indicated, why wasn't the efficacy and safety of the vaccine considered? It was not considered. And Justice Thomas made that very clear in his dissent, joined by three other justices. Well, the reason that the vaccine's efficacy and safety was not considered is because the issue was not before the court. Of the 22 states who challenged the healthcare vaccine mandate, no state claimed that the mandate violated the Liberty Clause. The Liberty Clause is where we find our medical freedoms. Throughout history, the Liberty Clause is the clause used to protect us against unwanted medical procedures and even to allow us to demand medical procedures that we want. So you will see behind me a picture of the United States Supreme Courthouse. I have faith that when our justices are presented with the medical facts concerning the efficacy of the vaccine, the need for the vaccine, and the way our governments are bullying and coercing people to take the vaccine against their desire, the court will uphold our liberty rights and they will declare all of the vaccines unconstitutional. Later today in the, and in the days that follow, you'll be hearing from a number of medical professionals describing why this vaccine is nothing like the vaccines of the past. So I encourage you to stay tuned in and thank you for watching. Thank you, Mrs. Um, Polat-Sachs, um, for this opening statement of yours. I would now like to give the floor to Dr. Rainer Fömich, attorney at law in Germany, for an overview. Thank you. <clears throat> Good afternoon. My name is Rainer Fömich, and it is my pleasure to serve as one member of a group of distinguished international attorneys and lawyers who have been collaborating on this very important case for many months now. This case involving the most heinous crimes against humanity committed under the guise of a corona pandemic on a global scale looks complicated only at first glance. But when you put together 
all those pieces, all those little pieces of the puzzle, as we will do this for you with the help of many renowned experts and other witnesses during this proceeding, you will see four sets of facts. One, there is no corona pandemic, but only a PCR test pandemic, fueled by an elaborate psychological operation designed to create a constant state of panic among the world's population. This agenda has been long planned. It's ultimately unsuccessful. Precursor was the swine flu some 12 years ago. And it was cooked up by a group of super rich, psychopathic and sociopathic people who hate and fear people at the same time, have no empathy and are driven by the desire to gain full control over all of us, the people of the world. They are using our governments and the mainstream media, both of which they literally own, to convey their panic propaganda 24-7. Two, the virus itself can be treated safely and effectively with vitamin C, D, zinc, etc., and also with off-label use of ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, etc. But all these, not alternative methods of treatment, but real methods of treatment, were banned by those who are using the guise of this pandemic to push their ultimate goal, which is to get everyone to receive the, as we will show in this proceeding, not only ineffective, but highly dangerous, yes, lethal, experimental injections. Three, the same people who made the swine flu, which ultimately turned out to be a mild flu, into a pandemic 12 years ago by first changing the definition of what a pandemic is and then creating panic, created this corona pandemic. The swine flu was their first real attempt at creating a pandemic. And just as one of its purposes then was to divert our attention from the blatantly fraudulent activities of their financial industry, more aptly to be called a financial mafia, which had become visible through the Lehman crisis, this is also one of their major purposes of this corona pandemic now. Had we taken a closer look then during the Lehman crisis, instead of blindly believing our governments, uh, government's promises that the perpetrators of those financial crimes will be hel held liable, we would have seen th uh, then that they had been looting and plundering our public coffers for decades. And we would have seen that our governments are not our governments anymore. Rather, they have been taken over by the other side through their main platform, the World Economic Forum, which had started to create their own global leaders through their Young Global Leaders Program as early as 1992 two of the first graduates being Angela Merkel and Bill Gates. And we would have understood already then what we will show you now through this proceeding. These financial crimes went unchallenged by our politicians because they're aiding and abetting those who commit them and profiting from these crimes. Four, ultimately, however, we will show to you, the jury, that the other side's main purpose is to gain full and complete control over all of us. This involves the finalization of their looting and plundering by deliberately destroying our small and medium-sized businesses, retail businesses, hotel and restaurants, so that platforms such as Amazon can take over. And this involves population control, which in their view requires both a massive reduction of the population and manipulating the DNA of the remaining population with the help, for example, of mRNA experimental injections. 
but it also requires, in their view, the deliberate destruction of democracy, of the rule of law, and of our constitutions through chaos, so that ultimately we will agree to losing our national and cultural identities and instead will accept a one-world government under the UN, which is now under the full control of them and their World Economic Forum, a digital passport through which each and every move is monitored and controlled, and one digital currency, which we will only be able to receive from one World Bank, theirs, of course. At the conclusion of the case, and after you have heard all the evidence, we are confident that you will recommend indictments against all six putative figurehead defendants, Christian Drosten of Germany, Anthony Fauci of the United States, Tedros of the World Health Organization, Bill Gates, BlackRock, and Pfizer. Ladies and gentlemen, this case is about a long-planned agenda of a group of ultra-rich people and their financial mafia based in the city of London and on Wall Street to use a pseudo-pandemic as a guise behind which, while our attention is on the pandemic, they want to complete their decades-long efforts to gain full and complete control over all of us. There are numerous platforms on which this group has been meeting and discussing this agenda, but the most important one is that of the World Economic Forum, which was invented in 1971 by a then 33-year-old Klaus Schwab. Its members are a thousand global corporations with at least five billion US dollars in annual sales, politicians, media representatives, scientists, and other so-called high-profile personality. They meet once a year in Davos, but there are other such meetings, for example, in China. And since 1992, they have created and presented to us their own group of political leaders for the world. Among the first graduates, as I mentioned before, are Angela Merkel and Bill Gates in 1992. Others are Sebastian Kurz, up until recently Chancellor of Austria, Justin Trudeau, Prime Minister of Canada, Jacinda Ardern, Prime Minister of New Zealand, François Macron, President of France, and many, many more. This group, which is now called the Davos clique, is openly, the publication The Great Reset by Klaus Schwab is one of the most important sources for this information, promoting the shifting of the world's assets to this group of super-rich people so that in 2030, ordinary people will owe nothing and be happy, as it explicitly states there, under their one-world government with a digital currency given to us by their one-world bank, and they're also openly promoting in close cooperation with people like the putative defendant Bill Gates, the Rockefellers and others, the drastic reduction of the world's population and the manipulation of the remaining population's DNA all the way into transhumanism. Their most important goal is, however, the controlled, by them, of course, implosion of the completely looted financial system and simultaneous introduction of a digital currency issued by one world bank controlled by them, and just as important, the introduction of a world government under the UN, which has come under their full control in 2019. For this purpose, they have made concrete plans for this corona pandemic since at least the spring of 2001. 
Operation Dark Winter, followed by another such rehearsal, the lockstep exercise by the Rockefeller Foundation in 2010, and finally, Event 201 in October of 2019 in New York, sponsored by the Johns Hopkins Center for Health Security, the Rockefeller Foundation, the World Economic Forum, and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Members of the jury, we will call a number of different highly renowned expert witnesses from all walks of science, but also witnesses who will testify to the damage that they suffered as a result of getting the experimental injections in this trial. After our opening statements, we will start off in a week from now by calling former members a member of the U.S. military, James Bush, who participated in Operation Dark Winter in 2001, former members of the British intelligence services, Brian Garish and Alex Thompson, and investigative journalists Whitney Webb and Matthew Arrett, former World Health Organization employees and advisors Dr. Sylvia Behrendt and Dr. Astrid Stuckelberger. They will explain to us the historical and geopolitical background of what we are confronted with. And they will show to us how this agenda has been planned for at least 20 years, start, starting with Operation Dark Winter in 2001, um, and some 10 years uh, later, the lockstep scenario by the Rockefeller Foundation, ending with the dress rehearsal, Event 201, in October of 2019. And, the, and they will explain how, when there were no cases which they needed to declare a public health emergency of international concern, they created them by having defendant Drosten invent the story of asymptomatic infections, which don't exist, and how this PCR test can detect through mass screening of perfectly healthy people, those who are infected. A lie, as we will show. We will continue with the next group of witnesses, Dr. Wolfgang Wodak, an experienced lung specialist and former member of the German Bundestag and the Council of Europe, who managed to expose the other side's first attempt at a pandemic, the swine flu of 12 years ago, as a mild flu. Professor Ulrike Kemmerer, biologist from Würzburg University. Dr. Mike Yeden, former vice president of Pfizer. Dr. Sylvia Behrendt, Dr. Astrid Stuckelberger, Professor Dolores Cahill of Dub Dublin University, Professor Antonietta Gatti from Italy, Professor Berkholz from Germany. These experts will explain to us what is behind the legend of the Wuhan wet market outbreak. They will show that the virus is no more dangerous than the common flu, the PCR test cannot tell us anything about infections, but is the only basis for all anti-corona measures, including the ultimate measure, the so-called vaccines, and the so-called vaccines are not only ineffective, but extremely dangerous. Regardless of the natural or man-made origin of the virus, our immune system is perfectly well capable of dealing with the virus, as evidenced by an infection fatality rate of between 0.14 and 0.15 or even less percent. There was no excess mortality anywhere until the experimental injections started. There were not even any cases in early 2020. However, they needed cases in order to declare a public health emergency of international concern, as this was the only basis on which it would be possible, according to their own made-up rules, which all governments of the member states of the World Health Organization had agreed to, to use untested new drugs, the experimental injections, on people. 
after a first failed attempt at announcing this public health emergency of international concern because there were no cases, they tried again in late January of 2020 after they had created cases with the help of that now infamous Drosten PCR test and announced this public health emergency of international concern two weeks later. We will hear from these experts that these cases were almost all false positive test results, nothing else. The next groups, group of experts are Dr. Thomas Binder from Switzerland, Dr. Brian Artis from Texas, Dr. Shankara Chetty from South Africa, and Dr. Wolfgang Wodark from Germany, and John O'Looney, undertaker from England. These experts will tell us how right from the start we were witnessing a deliberate, completely senseless banning of normal, effective and safe methods of treatment of respiratory diseases, and instead a mandate of treatments that must now be considered serious medical malpractice. Intubation, remdesivir, medezolam. John O'Looney will explain how he first believing the other side's allegations about a pandemic even helped the BBC in pushing their panic propaganda until he realized how under the guise of the pandemic, people were intentionally being killed. We will then call the next group of experts, including Professor Alexandra Orioncourt from France, Dr. Mike Yeadon, Professor Sucharit Bhakti from Germany, Professor Luc Montagnier from France, Dr. Vanessa Schmidt-Krüger from Germany, Dr. Robert Malone, inventor of the mRNA vaccine technique um, from the U.S., and Professor Anne Burkhardt, pathologist from Germany. They will show us that while the virus did not cause any excess mortality, it has a survival rate of 99.97%, the shots are now killing people and have been causing excess mortality of up to 40% since September as a result of a poisoning with the spike protein and of shutting off our immune system. Dr. Mike Yeadon will tell us how a group of scientists has even found concrete evidence that the makers of the vaccines are experimenting with lethal dosages to see how the lethal side effects can be manipulated in such a way that the population will not immediately understand what is happening. The next group of experts will explain to us how it could have come to this. This, in this group includes Professor Matthias Desmet from Belgium, Dr. Ariane Billeran from France, Dr. Meredith Miller from the U.S., Professor Harald Wallach from Germany, and Stefan Kohn, employee of the German Department of the Interior. These experts will walk us through how the other side, after having established the public health emergency of international concern, in quick su succession introduced us to the lockdown, the nonsensical and dan dangerous mask mandates, and the very harmful, both physically and psychologically, social distancing, until they, they arrived at their ultimate goal, the ineffective and dangerous, even lethal, injections. And they will explain to us in detail how our acquiescence to all this was made possible through a gigantic psychological operation whose panic message we kept receiving through the mainstream medias and our politicians, both owned by the other side, relentless propaganda. The next group of experts includes Leslie Manukian, a former investment banker from the U.S., Naomi Wolf journalist and author from the U.S., 
Ernst Wolf, a German economist, Professor Christian Kreis, German economist, Professor Holger Recko, a German economist, and Markus Krall, a German economist. This part of the proceeding will have these experts explain to us in great detail about the intentional destruction of our economies and how the other side is working on a controlled crash of the financial system to both get away with the crimes that they have already committed over the past decade, uh, decades looting and plundering our public coffers until there's nothing left, and to introduce a one-world bank and digital currency plus digital passport. The final group of experts include Matthew Eret, an investigative journalist from Canada, Vera Sharaf, a Holocaust survivor, Ilana Rachel Daniel from Israel, Rabbi Smith from New York, Patrick Wood, an expert on technocracy from the US, Avital Livni from Israel. This final part of the investigation will have these experts tell us how an important part of the other side's agenda has to do with population control, or rather, eugenics. After World War II, eugenics had a bad name, Julian Huxley, who founded the UNESCO, said. But he and the very large group of people who supported the idea of eugenics would soon be able to continue with their efforts in this direction, he openly explained. The parallels between what happened then, 80 years ago, and what is happening now shall not be ignored. Vera Sharaf will remind us of this. After you have heard all the evidence, we have no doubt that you will recommend indictments against all our putative defendants for crimes against humanity. Thank you. Thank you for this overview and also for giving us a, an outline of the experts, the lineup of experts that we're going to hear. Um, I would like to turn now back to um, attorney at law um, Aina Garner from the US um, to give us some more information about the PCR test. I think you forgot Dexter. Dexter is um, he's a little late. He's okay. coming in a little mm -hmm. later. Mm -hmm. Mrs. Garner. Yes, thank you. <clears throat> thank you. To understand the enormity of the planning that went into this criminal collaboration on a global scale, we must start with the basis of the pandemic. This was a big lie. It was a lie for the governments of the world to declare almost in unison a global pandemic a word like so many others involved in this official narrative that had its definition changed to meet the goals of the agenda. Specifically, what I wanted to talk about is the big lie that was based on the PCR test, the testing. This was not a pandemic, but a case-demic. The information we've been given by the CDC and the FDA on the PCR test is demonstrably false, and we will have evidence proving this. The method is not, in fact, a test at all, not a diagnostic test, but a genetic manufacturing technology that looks for specific snippets of code and amplifies them by doubling on every cycle. Its inventor, Kerry Mullis, who won a Nobel Prize for the process that he invented, declared that this was never intended to be a valid diagnostic tool. And it's known by all who use it that it cannot detect active infection. Drosten, one of the accused, knew this. He knew that the test was meaningless and that the test was false. However, this test has been used 
to create worldwide panic and compliance. The CDC has even admitted that their own recently withdrawn test was based on contrived samples. The WHO uh, recommended grossly excessive cycle thresholds, which is the number of amplifications that a small amount of genetic material underwent to determine if there was anything present are far beyond industry standards and they render any test meaningless with false positive results at rates approaching 100%. It's actually decided, it's been studied that the uh, false positive rates of this PCR test are actually closer to 97%. This means that 3% of the population who test positive may be sick with something, but we don't know what they're sick with because the test doesn't determine that. This whole test has been globally misused to fraudulently justify the existence of a pandemic and to determine falsely inflated case numbers as well as death numbers. We will demonstrate with clear and convincing evidence that the defendants participated in this global lie and called a widely geographically dispersed disease with survival rates equivalent to a seasonal influenza a pandemic that would allow false global declarations of public health emergency. And from this emergency that is now almost two years in the making, governments mandated draconian restrictions and separation and isolation of vulnerable populations like the elderly and the children, as well as instituting vaccine mandates throughout the world. What we know will happen next is vaccine passports, which will lock down our planet even further as well as quarantine camps everywhere. Our trust has been betrayed by the corruption in the system. And we will provide you with verifiable sets of facts that we have all been grievously misled to believe a big lie. And in the end goals being, in the words of one of the accused, Bill Gates, to vaccinate every man, woman, and child on the planet with experimental gene altering shots. These PCR tests have been used to drive the case numbers and deaths. Let's look at the definition of a case. Historically, a case was someone who was sick, not just a positive test in the absence of any symptoms. With worldwide testing of healthy people, they have grossly inflated the number of cases. And this is broadcast in our faces all the time by mainstream media, by Department of Highway Signs in the United States and maybe in other countries, and has been used to incite panic and compliance amongst the whole world. The significant drawbacks are why PCR testing should only be done on symptomatic patients and why a positive test should be weighed as only one factor of any diagnosis. You cannot diagnose anyone in the absence of clinical symptoms and in the absence of medical uh, diagnosis. So what we have is testing healthy people in large numbers, which predictably result in falsely inflated numbers and the panic. The CDC and the FDA have recognized this potential as did the perpetrators of these crimes that we will be presenting. The evidence will show that Drosten, who claims to have invented the test for COVID-19, was aware of its limitations and its falsity. The test was not specific for any virus or bacteria. Therefore, it's meaningless in determining what might even be causing any symptoms. What the test is good for is causing worldwide panic. Even deaths 
another falsely inflated number needs to be investigated in light of these false PCR tests. A death with a positive PCR test is considered a death from COVID. Whether you were admitted to the hospital due to a car crash, a heart attack, or even delivering a child. If you tested positive and then died within 28 days or so from your test, your death was attributed to COVID-19. Even our CDC admitted later into the pandemic that 95% of the deaths attributed to COVID were from other causes. It was simply based on a false test. The manufacturers knew all this, as well as the, quote, inventor of the uh, COVID-19 test, Drosten. We have now uh, part of a fear message that has caused institutionalized discrimination against people who are not choosing to be vaccinated, not choosing to be tested. This is morally reprehensible by any humane standard. As a result of these false tests, we have huge catastrophic harm, which has been done to the populace of the world. There are scientists and doctors who will testify about the enormous catastrophic harm that has been done from this. The legal evidence of intent and knowledge is in the various FDA documents and related materials, but they're designed to be to obfuscate and confuse even lawyers who read and pour through these documents. As you may begin to see here, the pillars of the official and media COVID narrative, which are one and the same, fall like dominoes when the evidence is shown. There is irrefutable evidence of fraud and multifarious malfeasance throughout the COVID regime if you have the courage and intellectual honesty to look and study it and consider it fairly. Please do. It may be shocking to some, unbelievable to others, but I assure you this evidence is real and disturbing. One of the things that is uh, a byproduct of it is that the system has to pretend that the only answer to these inflated numbers of cases and deaths are vaccines. And they have done this in order to get them emergency use authorized and on childhood schedules. And this is what is coming next. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Mrs. Garner, for these additional uh, words. I would, since um, yeah. I would like to um, now turn to uh, Deepali Oja from India. Can you hear us? Uh, yes. Thank you so much. Uh, good afternoon, everyone. I am Advocate Deepali Oja from India. It's a matter of great honor for me to present my opening statement to Grand Jury of People's Court of Public Opinion. I thank Judge Rui da Fonseca and all my learned colleagues for their thoughtful and insightful presentations. In the March of 2020, most of us were caught unawares as the governments worldwide endorsed the onset of a pandemic supposedly created by a novel SARS-CoV-2 virus that possibly originated from Wuhan, China. Upon declaration of pandemic, there were series of announcements which were truly unprecedented unheard of by most of us, like closing of international borders, complete halt of international flight services, compulsory use of face masks, observance of social distancing, and the deadlier measures like lockdowns. In India, the railway services came to a grinding halt for the first time in their history of 167 years. 
each country swiftly endorsed similar measures supposedly to prevent and control the spread of infection. In that prevailing state of chaos, panic, shock, uncertainty, and fear, most of us relied on mainstream media as a source of authentic information around this virus and the resultant havoc it wreaked upon us humans. One of the prominent aspects of communication constantly received from global governments and health authorities was that there is no known cure for this SARS-CoV-2 virus. In several countries, patients who were sick were refused admission in hospitals and were sent back home stating that there is no cure for this disease. During this phase, there were honest physicians and frontline doctors who treated patients with repurposed drugs which is certainly not a new phenomenon with the allopathic stream of medicine. And some physicians devised their own protocols for treatments based on their vast and rich clinical experience. While the physicians performed their solemn duties of saving their patients' lives in the best possible manner using repurposed drugs with proven safety profiles in combination with supplements like zinc, vitamin C, vitamin D, etc., we witnessed a vehement opposition from the very same health authorities that were at the helm of designing the response to the pandemic. The unrest caused to these people at the helm was very conspicuous through their acts of dismissal of any information that revealed how the early treatments were effective and that there existed alternative therapies to treat COVID-19 patients. Now, any person of ordinary intelligence would have found this to be unreasonable in the sense that saving lives, would, saving lives would obviously be the first and the foremost objective. And especially when the physicians, based on their clinical expertise, claimed that they were able to cure patients through early treatment drugs. I will digress here for a moment to share with you something from the perspective of my country, India. In India, we have rich tradition of alternative systems of medicines like Ayurveda, Siddha, Yunani, and other systems of healing like naturopathy and homeopathy. In fact, there is a dedicated ministry under government of India by name Ayush, which is an acronym for Ayurveda, Yoga, and naturopathy, Yunani, Siddha, and homeopathy. The recognized doctors who are trained to practice these alternative systems of medicines have successfully treated COVID-19 patients. However, after the rollout of these experimental vaccines, uh, we should not be calling these as vaccines. In, in fact, these are injections, which would be an appropriate description. Now, after rollout of these experimental injections, the blocking of any discussion around alternative treatments seem to have become more pronounced that included dismissal of doctors who advocated for early treatments of COVID or the ones who proclaimed that early treatments were indeed safe and effective. Some doctors have even faced disciplinary actions from their medical boards. Some were publicly ridiculed and faced the threat of cancellation or suspension of their medical licenses. Such an acerbic response from the health authorities, governments and medical boards was itself a red flag that something somewhere was wrong and amiss. It is worthwhile to note that most of the persons who were dictating the country's COVID-19 responses worldwide were not even treating the COVID-19 patients, but they did not pay any heed to the honest and diligent physicians who were actually treating patients on the ground with early treatments. 
As my learned colleague has already pointed out, that the possible reason for the blocking of any information around early treatment, effectiveness of early treatments, uh, was the emergency use authorization, which is granted only when there is no drug that is adequate, number one, approved, and available for treatment. The claim that there is no cure for COVID-19 made it possible for the vaccine manufacturers to apply for EUA. Besides, there is immunity that the pharma companies enjoy while EUA is granted to them. I wish to inform here at this juncture that in India, there are no specific provisions like the ones laid down by US FDA around the grant of emergency use authorization. And therefore, till recently, alternative treatments or early treatment drugs were part of India's national COVID management protocol. Ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine were included in our national pet a protocol until late September 2021. In fact, states like Uttar Pradesh and Goa in India rose to prominence globally for the successful demonstration of use of ivermectin in controlling the spread of COVID-19 and in curing the patients speedily. However, these success stories have been deliberately undermined and suppressed by all those compromised persons and media platforms which have invested heavily in vaccine businesses or who have vested interest in some form or the other in not letting the success of these early treatment drugs known to all people. Conspicuous absence of any scientific debate around the effectiveness of early treatments, combined with the muzzling of voices that try to spread the word around effectiveness of early treatment drugs, is a clear sign that the governments and health authorities worldwide are pushing vaccine as the only solution and as the only cure for COVID-19. Now, another aspect which is specific to India is that there is no immunity to vaccine manufacturers in India. And this has been confirmed on affidavit filed by government of India in our APEX court in Supreme Court of India. Recently, we have assisted in filing a petition at Bombay High Court by a father who lost his daughter to the first dose of these experimental vaccines. He has claimed a compensation of around 1.3 billion US dollars for loss of life of his daughter. And this is the second case that we have assisted in filing. The first case has been filed in late November 2021. It is filed by a mother who lost her young son to the first dose of these experimental vaccines. In this case, the diseased son was compelled to take the experimental vaccine in order to access the public transport system, which allowed only vaccinated people to travel as per the administrative order passed by the government official. In addition to monetary compensation for loss of her son's life to these experimental injections, uh, this mother has also sought for an investigation, a probe by Premier Investigation Agency of India into the role of all persons involved in the chain of events, right from the manufacturers of these vaccines, persons in charge of COVID-19 response here in India, and all those who claimed that vaccines, these corona vaccines are 100% safe and effective. We are expecting several cases to be filed across the country in near future by victims of these medical experimentation. Now calling these products as vaccines would be inappropriate as vaccines are expected to provide immunity against a disease. While we, promised, while we were promised that corona vaccines would protect us from supposedly deadly virus, we are witnessing today the fact that these corona vaccines are neither preventing uh, contracting of the disease nor are stopping the transmission. 
Besides, these vaccines have shown to have serious side effects, including deaths. So there is no way one can justify the experimental medical products that neither stop infection nor transmission. Also, the vaccinated persons are required to follow the COVID appropriate behavior. If there is a lockdown, they also have to sit in doors and they also have to wear masks and they also have to follow social distancing. Now, there is another alarming aspect of the manner in which these experimental injections are being administered on the global population that I wish to bring to your attention. And that is about informed consent. As to how the settled and established laws around informed consent have been openly violated. In the lawsuits that we have filed here in India, in addition to the judicial precedent specific to India by our courts, high courts and Supreme Court, we have also cited how the provisions of Universal Declaration on Bioethics and Human Rights 2005 that mandate for giving detailed information to public for getting their informed consent to such medical experimentation. All of these provisions have been breached. For example, Article 3 of Universal Declaration on Bioethics and Human Rights states that human dignity, human rights, and fundamental freedoms are to be fully respected, and the interests and welfare of the individual should have priority over the sole interest of science and society. Also, Article 6 of the same declaration states that any preventive, diagnostic, and therapeutic medical intervention is only to be carried out with the prior, free, and informed consent of the person concerned based on adequate information. The consent should, where appropriate, be expressed and may be withdrawn by the person concerned at any time and for any reason without disadvantage and prejudice. There is also another landmark judgment which we have cited in our the proceedings that we have filed, which is uh, the judgment passed by UK Supreme Court in the case of Montgomery versus uh, Lanarkshire Health Board, which is of 2015. Now, as we discuss the crucial points around absence of informed consent and violation of several international codes and agreements in this process of hasty rollout of these experimental vaccines, the other side, Mr. Global, is usually seen harping on a very flimsy ground to justify these medical experimental products, which is benefits outweigh the risks. Now, our experts, expert witnesses shall be presenting the evidences that show the extent of harm these experimental products have inflicted upon the population, the serious adverse effects of these jabs, including deaths, the lack of transparency around the clinical trials data, the underreporting of deaths caused due to these jabs, which and then all these evidences which our experts would be presenting to the grand jury in upcoming hearings will thoroughly demolish this rationale commonly resorted to push these experimental jabs that benefits of these experimental injections outweigh the risks. Now, as I conclude, I wish to draw the attention of jury to the following. The rationale for authorities declaring that there is no cure for COVID-19 is not clear till date since there has been no scientific debate or discussion between people in charge of COVID-19 response in, in countries and those physicians, scientists and doctors who claim to have proven and documented success, success stories around the effective early treatments. Secondly, there has been no initiative, no effort to conduct clinical trials on effectiveness of early treatment drugs on the part of those responsible for designing countries' official COVID response. 
there has been blanket denial regarding the natural immunity or the immunity developed after natural infection in spite of several studies being published to this effect. There is a deliberate censorship by big tech of anyone and everyone who chooses, chooses to talk about how there exist alternative treatments and that these are safer than the experimental injections. Lastly, the fact that repurposed drugs with extensive data on safety profile are ignored and an experimental medical injection hurriedly rolled out is touted as safe and effective. We know that there is no transparency around the data on clinical trials conducted. Given the number of adverse events being reported globally daily, these experimental products are anything but safe. Our expert witnesses shall cover each of these aspects in detail in upcoming hearings, and I'm very confident that after going through the evidences that is placed on record, the grand jury shall be fully equipped for assessing the role and complicity of each person, each entity, each organization involved in commission of these horrific crimes against humanity. Thank you for listening. Thank, Thank you so much. Thanks so much. Uh, now I hear that um, that Dexter Reinefeld from South Africa is with us. Attorney um, Reinefeld, can you hear us? I can hear you loud and clear. Fantastic. So the floor is yours. Thank you so much. My sincere apology. I am Dexter Reinefeld, a lawyer practicing advocate from South Africa. It is with great honor and appreciation that I present to you members of this jury a statement of the Court of Public Opinions opening statement. First and foremost, I want to acknowledge Lemuel Beloy, Yvonne Katsanda, Deborah Monieki, and Walter Mashilo, as well as all the brave COVID-19 vaccine injured witnesses worldwide for their kind assistance and participation. I'm gonna start off with what Thomas Paine 200 years said. And it's actually stated very eloquently, the greatest tyrannies are always perpetrated in the name of the noblest causes. This statement is ever more relevant today as it was 200 years ago and will continue to be relevant for years and centuries to come. The question posed to you, honorable members of the jury, what is the noblest cause that has been and still are being exploited, exploited since the inception of this SARS-CoV-2 COVID-19 pandemic? This is none other than the all-encompassed cause. Yalti body, yalti mind comes down to human yalti. We can all agree then the noblest cause is what is in the best interest of human health and how this impacts our family and friends, as well as our ability to generate an income. The evidence presented will showcase exactly how the defendants orchestrated and manipulated this noblest cause, human health, to advance their agenda, of total control and dominance on an unsuspected populace, and how they made serious inroads into the populist constitutional and inalienable rights and freedom. 
From the onset of this pandemic, ladies and gentlemen, members of the juries, the defendants deployed and invested considerable efforts and money in the public relations, actually, in a matter of fact, their public relations campaigns with the assistance of the mainstream corporate media. They capitalized this human health concerns for their financial benefits and aspirations of total dominance and control. To their benefit, they use the catchphrase, follow the signs. This is a catchphrase that all of us are just so familiar with, for whenever they talk, they will always substantiate, let's follow the signs. This is what the science says, to justify and legitimize their public health policies for the so-called common good worldwide in lockstep. In addressing the human health concerns in respect to COVID-19, the following pertinent questions must be posed, ladies and gentlemen. The first question, what is the true nature of the SARS-CoV-2 virus? Is it really novel? And if so, to what extent can we say it is novel? The short answer to that is no, it is not novel. Here the evidence from the medical and scientific experts will show beyond any shadow of doubt that we are not dealing with a novel virus. In a matter of fact, ladies and gentlemen, members of this jury, the SARS-CoV-2 virus can in many ways be regarded as a seasonal flu, where its composition is very much comparable to the SARS-CoV-1 virus. The second question that we need to pose, are there any suitable and viable medical treatments to uh, combat the COVID-19 illness? Without going into too many uh, detail, my learned friend, uh, Advocate Dipali, has clearly indicated that yes, indeed, there is alternative treatments, and not just that there is alternative treatments, but there is successful alternative treatments. And this is the evidence that will most definitely be presented to each and every one of you. The third and final question that we need to pose in relation to this YALP concern is what is the survival rate of uh, of the COVID-19 illness. Evidence once more will show that the survival rate forecast at the onset of the pandemic was nothing more than a computerized statistical forecast used to instill fear. And I believe we are all also very much familiar with that fear that has been instilled in each and every one of us. But in reality, the survival rate is 99.5%. Some of the experts will also give evidence that when it comes to the survival rate, it can even go as high as 99.97. The current realistic mortality rate is not even close to the computerized statistical forecast projected. In a matter of fact, the seasonal flu is a higher mortality rate than COVID-19. Just this statement alone, ladies and gentlemen, must bring us now to a state where we need to reflect and say, was it worth it? Was all the lockdowns, hand sanitation, social distancing, was it really worth it?
The three questions that I just posed to you, members of the jury, bring us to the U.S., the United States National Library of Medicine. This was a workshop that was conducted, and um, it, I'm going to take a quote out of this workshop, um, and you can search for it on the World Wide Web, and it is a rapid medical countermeasures response to infectious disease enabling sustainable capabilities through ongoing public and private sector partnership, in which Dr. Peter Desek wrote to Dr. Anthony Fauci, open quote, that until an infectious disease crisis is very real, present, and at an emergency threshold, it is often largely ignored. We need to increase this uh, public understanding of the need for medical countermeasures, such as pan coronavirus vaccine. A key driver is the media and the economics will follow the hype. We need to use that hype to our advantage to get to the real issues. Investors will respond when they see profit at the end of the process, close quote. This quote in itself, ladies and gentlemen, is incriminating. It is unambiguously, it is unambiguous. It sets out the plan behind the pandemic. And by a click of a button, honorable members of the jury, you can search for yourself on the World Wide Web who the financial beneficiaries are of this pandemic. Without any doubt, it is the investors, it is the shareholders of the vaccine companies to the dismay of the populace, the average man, the average woman. What the ultimate intent to obliterate small and medium-sized businesses. The only businesses who are currently thriving financially are the pharmaceutical companies and the big tech conglomerates. We also see the direct impact it had on moms and pops shops in medium-sized companies as well. What the statements presented to you will clearly indicate why citizens participated in the global vaccine medical experiments. At the core of the vaccine participants belief system, and you will hear it from the vaccine injured victims. At the core of their belief system as to why they partook in, why they partook in this a medical experiment is that they thought it will be in their best yell interest and ultimately financial interest. So with this said, we see there is a direct connection. I have to do it because of my yell. And if I don't do it, I'm going to lose out financially. I will not be able to earn an income. And hence why I pose to you why the financial interest if they do not participate in the experimental vaccines, they stand to lose their financial income capacity. This is nothing short of coercion and blackmail, to say the least. This is what we call, ladies and gentlemen, the carrot and stick approach. The evidence presented will elucidate due ethical medical experiment processes and protocols that must always be adhered to when conducting medical experiments in mouths. Medical experiments must adhere to the highest standards of medical ethics. 
is set out in the Declaration of Helsinki, the Nuremberg Code, as well as each respective country's codified legislative prescripts. The evidence will show that without any doubt, the Declaration of Helsinki, the Nuremberg Code, and the codes of conduct for medical experiments in each and every country were violated. In a matter of fact, it's still being violated with this a mandatory uh, vaccine uh, mandate. It's being pushed uh, throughout the world. And this has all been done with the catchphrase, follow the signs. The evidence will show that when it comes to SARS-CoV-2, when it comes to COVID-19, it can be compared as a common flu. The honorable members of the jury, the mRNA inventor, Dr. Robert Malone, stated on multiple alternative media platforms as to why the COVID-19 mRNA experimental vaccines are dangerous and fraught with grave possible long-term sequelae. Inter earlier, we're talking about myocarditis, pericarditis, and the evidence will clearly indicate that. A broad overview will also be given of the medical and scientific laboratory tests that has been conducted in the past on the mRNA medical technology to date as well, and why it is not prudent to deploy the mRNA vaccines on a global scale on an unsuspected populace. The evidence will be corroborated by pharmacologists, toxicologists, immunolo immunologists, virologists, physiologists, and biochemists inter alia. Here is a prelude of the evidence that will be presented by either Professor Bhakti, Professor Palmer, and or Dr. Vodak. And I quote, open quote, overall, it is apparent that the novel method of introducing genetic material into human cells via adenoviruses or adeno-associated viruses is fraught with dangerous side effects, the causes of which are not yet entirely clear. While such risk might be acceptable in otherwise incurable conditions, such as spinal muscular atrophy, it is absolutely irresponsible to impose them on healthy people who have little or no risk to ever experience a severe cause of COVID-19, close quote. Members of the jury, to fully comprehend the full extent of the plan behind this pandemic, we must focus to what extent the defendants enacted the lockstep approach or follow the signs. We do not have to go too far to comprehend the playbook. We can simply look at how they changed, adapted, epidemiological, medical, and scientific definitions to suit and justify their mantra or follow the science. With closer introspection, we must investigate how they changed, adapted, medical and scientific definitions. And the definitions we're talking about is pandemic, endemic, vaccines, herd immunity, and natural immunity. Medical and scientific evidence will show how these definitions were altered, adapted to fit 
the defendant's premeditated intentional criminal offense, crimes against humanity. The adaptations of a paramount epidemiological, medical, and scientific definitions are criminal, i.e., they follow the science narrative, is not in sync with well-established epidemiological standards and practices. The evidence will clearly illustrate the discrepancies between the follow the science narrative and the actual well-established objective medical and scientific information and data. Honorable members of the jury, I hereby draw your attention to a quote by Booker T. Washington. Open quote. A lie does not become truth. Wrong does not become right. And evil doesn't become good just because it's accepted by a majority. Even if the majority for argument's sake, and I just quickly just want to go back, by a majority, that's the close quote. Even if the majority for argument's sake accepts the distorted medical and scientific definitions, it cannot be seen as correct and or truthful. A mere change of medical and scientific definitions at the one without clear, unambiguous medical and scientific substantiations cannot justify any changes, adaptations, and it cannot thus be seen as truth. It does not matter how many times the defendants and or any collaborators repeat a lie. In the case we are making reference to the media, it cannot become truth. Of the questions uppermost in the minds of the populous honorable members of the jury is how is it that the defendants were able to make so many advancements in the rollout of the planned pandemic and the vaccines? Why did a considerable number of the populace fall for the defendants' pandemic narrative to the extent where they presented themselves to be vaccinated with an experimental mRNA COVID-19 vaccine? To answer this, we have to look at the following concept, astroturfing. And I'm going to read the definition of astroturfing from the Merriam-Webster definition, and it reads as follows. Organized activity that is intended to create a false impression of a widespread, spontaneously arising grassroots movement in support of or in opposition to something, such as a political policy. But that is, in reality, initiated and controlled by a concealed group or organizations, such as corporations. Evidence will be led to show how the defendants and the co-conspirators drum up grassroots support and how they deployed mainstream corporate media to push the agenda of premeditated global mass murder by convincing a portion of the populace to willingly accept the experimental COVID-19 gene therapy vaccines. It will be shown that uh, through a psychological state of large-scale mass formation, the populace mental equity was intoxicated. And as a direct consequence, the populace trusted the mainstream narrative, even though it was utterly absurd and obviously wrong. I leave you with the following quote from Aristotle. It encapsulated the true essence of our current state of affairs globally. 
But before I go into it, this court of public opinion asks you to duly consider all the evidence that will be presented in its totality and to find it in you to see the truth. For what is what for, for what it is for what it is. This is a pandemic and not a pandemic. And when you look at the two words, pandemic, pandemic, there is one um, a letter that is different and that is the L. So what we say, we will be presenting all the evidence. You will learn exactly as to why we are where we are. And as a result of that, you will be confident to say, I have learned, so I'm going to take that capital L and I'm going to insert it in pandemic. This is not a pandemic, this is a pandemic. The evidence is clear and direct. Consequentially, the evidence presented will showcase that there is sufficient prima facie evidence against all the defendants. And that indictments can be, and in a matter of fact, must be issued against the defendants in their personal or professional capacities, as well as against those co-conspirators in each and every country in the world who played an instrumental role in peddling the great illusion of follow the signs. Yes, following the signs to a point of literal death. And this is the quote from Aristotle, open quote, governments which have a regard to the common interest are constituted in accordance with strict principles of justice and are therefore true forms. But those which regard only the interest of the rulers are all defective and perverted forms, for they are despotic, whereas a state is a community of free men. I thank you, honorable members of the jury. Thank you, Mr. Reinefeld, and thanks everyone for the opening statements. We have come to the end of the opening statements. And um, I would like to um, let the jury know, the viewers, you can be part of the jury. And um, we have set up an email address, contact at grant-jury.net, where you can get in touch with us, like both if you are, for instance, a lawyer and you would like to support this endeavor to provide the evidence. Um, so that the indictments can begin. So get in touch with us. And also if you are a victim, if you have undergone like um, problems like with your business, if you have had vaccination damages, if you have suffered all kinds of losses or um, restrictions, you can get in touch with us and we can present your case maybe even here while the, the proceedings are ongoing or like in a additional form, like maybe on a website, so it can be known to the, the world what has happened to you. Maybe uh, some closing words for today. Um, we are very appreciative of um, the viewers' participation in this proceeding. It's a model proceeding. And I will, I will say on behalf of the entire group of lawyers, some of whom you have met, some others uh, you will see uh, during the 
continuing proceeding when we question witnesses, for example. Um, I want to thank you and I want to implore you to support us, to watch this, to tell the world what is really going on, because there are not very many sources whom, which you can trust. There, is, there are a few sources. This is one of them. And we believe this is one of the most important ones of them, because what we're doing here, what we're undertaking is to give you a complete picture, a complete picture of what has happened and what is happening. Because only by seeing the complete picture will you come to the conclusion that we cannot trust those who many of us are used to trusting. Our governments are not our governments anymore. Our institutions have been infiltrated by those who are committing these crimes against humanity. More importantly, once you realize that, you will also come to the conclusion that it is only us, the people, who will make a difference. We will put an end to this, and we will make sure that there will be cleanup afterwards, including the um, uh, procedures that will uh, are necessary in order to bring justice and in order to bring those to justice who have committed these crimes against humanity. Thank you very much.